This is episode 29 with registered dietitian, marathoner, former teacher at George Washington University, and someone who's worked with brands like New Balance, Brooks, and Larabar, Mrs. Ann Monty. This episode is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people get special life insurance rates. Head on over to healthiq.com slash strengthrunning to see how your running can help you save on insurance. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. We're tackling nutrition, diet, weight loss, and fueling today with my Nutrition for Runners program co-creator, Ann Monty. Ann is a rock star, which is why I wanted to work with her. She's a certified registered dietitian. She has a master's in public health, and she's taught at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. She's also run dozens of half marathons and marathons, and her work has also been featured all over the place in Glamour, The Washington Post, Woman's Day, and many others. She writes a nutrition and lifestyle blog at fantasticfood.com, and fantastic, of course, is spelled F-A-N-N-E with her name in the beginning there. And runs her own private counseling practice from AnnTheRD.com. So I pulled all of the questions that we're going to tackle from Facebook and Twitter. I do this frequently and often take individual questions there. So please hit me up if you're on social media. We're at Facebook.com slash strengthrunning. Or if you prefer Twitter, my handle is JasonFitz1. Look forward to connecting with you there. Okay, on to today's show. Here's a teaser of some of the topics we're going to discuss. Low iron and the foods that can help you boost your iron levels, foods that fight inflammation, healthy snack ideas, race day nutrition, and I also share my my personal marathon morning fueling schedule, and whether or not you should drink booze during a training cycle. Here's a teaser. I think it's okay. So <laughs> I hope you enjoy my chat with Ann Monty. Let's get started. All right, Anne, welcome to the podcast. I'm super pumped to talk to you about all these nutrition, diet, and fueling questions that we crowdsourced over the last week. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a little while, but um, we can we can really just dive right in. This is going to be great. So over the last week or so, I've asked my Facebook and Twitter communities uh, all of their big questions about you know how to fuel appropriately for different workouts and races. Um, questions about weight loss, questions about, you know, eating for general health, because, you know, as a coach, I'm a big believer in the fact that health comes before fitness, you know, you have Mm -hmm. to have a good, solid foundation of health before you can really start worrying about performance. So we have uh, about 10 or 12 questions here, all all over the board. I mean, we're going to talk about uh, gels, but also healthy snacks and weight loss and all kinds of great stuff. Awesome. Sounds good. So let, let's get started with um, a, a question that is a little bit more female oriented. Uh, this one is from Tara. She wants to know, um, you know, she takes iron with C, vitamin C and B12. And she realizes that female runners are a bit more susceptible to low iron levels. And she wants to know what foods she should eat to make sure she gets enough iron. Yeah, so that's a really good question. And it can be especially uh, important for runners, as you said, um, especially female runners, since they're going to be losing some iron during that time of the month. Um, So basically things that you want to think about um, with iron. So certainly the, the the largest forms of 
iron rich foods are going to be things like red meat. Um, so, but there is good news if you're a vegetarian, dark leafy greens are also a good set, uh, source of, um, of iron as well. So, you know, really with, with this, I would recommend basically just having honestly a general healthy diet. So focus on those dark leafy green vegetables, um, dried fruits also have some iron. So for example, raisins and apricots. So a great afternoon snack, um, could be some dried fruit with nuts to get in some good protein and fat as well as that iron. Um, there are also some iron fortified cereals if you want to go that route. Um, Beans as well are good for vegetarians for an iron source, um, and then also seafood too. So really, there's a lot of good sources of iron. Um, so I think the key is really to just keep get some variety in there, um, and certainly check with your doctor to see if your iron levels are low um, and maybe necessitate um, the supplementation as well. But for most people, they can get enough from the diet. Yeah, so it's just like training. Variety in your diet is important too. Yes, exactly. All right. Here's a question from Michael. He has his first triathlon in August and he's about 10 pounds over his ideal weight. Do you think he would benefit more from eating for, you know, performance right now or, you know, going on a diet and trying to cut weight at this point? And I should mention we're recording this in June and he has his triathlon in August. So let's say he's about two, two and a half months before his goal race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a good one, and that is something that we address in our Nutrition for Runners program, too, um, is really, so it's really important that you don't try to uh, both train for performance and train for weight loss at the same time. So it's it's not, not only is it not going to be a, um, efficient, because you're going to, um, basically, if you're, if you're not having enough calories to try and lose weight, then your training is going to suffer. But it can also be dangerous too if you're ramping up your training at the same time that you're um, trying to uh, minimize your food intake. So I, I would recommend if he definitely wants to do the triathlon, I would train for, for, uh, for a performance for the triathlon, um, do the triathlon, and then after that, perhaps do a short kind of more um, more specific training cycle for um, leaning up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I would definitely not try to do both things at the same time. Cause it's not gonna, it's not going to be effective, but it's, it can also be pretty dangerous too. Yeah. That's a really great point. I think whenever you have an athlete with two competing goals, training mm -hmm. for performance, which necessitates a high energy load, and then mm -hmm. trying to lose weight, which, you know, the best way to lose weight is through your diet and by, mm -hmm. by, you know, cutting the overall energy density of your diet is one of the best ways to, to lose weight. They're competing goals. And just like in training, you know, mm -hmm. you can't train for a really fast mile and a marathon at the same time. They, they just have conflicting uh, demands on you physiologically. You run into the same problem with your diet when you're trying to do this. So, mm -hmm. you know, and I think you're, you're right on point with that. And, and to Michael, I would say, you know, you're going to get in much better shape for this triathlon if you just train as ideally as you can from now until your triathlon. And mm -hmm. then afterwards, if you want to take a little bit of a break from, you know, formal training and instead focus on weight loss, that's probably the way that I would recommend you go about things. Uh, I think it's much more effective. It's safer. Uh, and it's probably more enjoyable because you're probably not going to have a lot of fun 
trying to cut calories and lose weight when you are, you know, doing long runs and long rides and, and all the, the demands of triathlon training. I think that would just be uh, very fatiguing for you. It's also, there's a big difference too between training to, you know, lean up basically versus training for an endurance event. I mean, they're, they're, the type of workouts that you're doing are going to be completely different. Um, so especially for the endurance sort of training, um, it's, it's really, really hard to be losing weight at the same time, just because your energy needs are going to be a lot higher and your body is going to tell you that. So, um, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm sure Jason, that you work with athletes a lot on this, but it's just a very different type of training that you want to do short of sort of the shorter, higher intensity. Um, and also some strength as well is going to help more with weight loss versus when you're training for an endurance, you have to do, you know, the more slow, long stuff. So it's again, not only is it counterproductive in terms of, um, you know, what you're going to be eating, but it's also going to be counterproductive in terms of the type of training you want to be doing if you're training for, if you're trying to lose weight versus if you're trying to train for a specific endurance event. Absolutely. And that's why we have, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, separate training plans for weight loss in our nutrition program. You know, we, yeah. we don't just say, oh, follow a 5k plan or follow a marathon plan. You know, there's there's some slightly different things you have to do in your training to really prioritize weight loss, mm -hmm. and they're not always conducive to training for an endurance event. So that's why we like to keep things separate. Either do one or the other so that you can accomplish one or the other, because if you focus on both, you're going to accomplish neither. All right, let's yep. get to um, – this is our only anonymous question, and uh, this mm. person wants to know, uh, what are some good foods to fight inflammation? And, and I guess – my add-on to that question is, is it actually even worthy to focus on this kind of thing? Can, can you talk a little bit about you know, inflammation and, and how foods fight that and whether or not runners should be worrying about this in their diet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is a really good question because there are certainly foods that are going to help with uh, fighting that, that inflammation. So one that I speak a lot about um, to my runner clients is, um, tart cherries are actually a great inflammation fighting food. Um, tomatoes are another good one. Um, fatty fish is going to be a good one. But you know, in general, really, if you're if you're eating again lots of fruits and vegetables in a varied, healthy diet, it's that's going to be doing you know what it needs to be in terms of inflammation. Um, basically, you know, we're not able to get rid of inflammation as that's going to be a side effect of training. So, and part of it, you know, needs to happen as part of the repair process. That's going to help your body rebuild its muscles after a workout. Um, but certainly I think focusing on making sure that you've got lots of fruits, lots, lots of vegetables. If you do eat fish, that's going to be a great one to add. Um, you know, basically again, just kind of general healthy eating is going to help with this. And it's my understanding that the foods that promote inflammation are processed foods and, and really processed sugars. So, mm -hmm. uh, non-complex yeah. carbohydrates. So, you know, these things are, are, you know, there's a time and a place for simple sugars. You know, if you're, if you're doing a long run, you're going to need some gels, for example, mm -hmm. but uh, simple sugars are not the thing that you just want to be cramming into your diet because you think, Hey, I'm a runner. I need to be eating this high carbohydrate diet. While that mm -hmm. is true, it, you know, the devil's in the details. It's all about what the type of carbohydrate that you eat. So I think mm -hmm. as long as you're prioritizing real whole foods 
and complex carbohydrates, you're not going to run into a situation where your diet is causing all this rampant inflammation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for people who are doing endurance workouts, it's really important to make sure that you refuel with an adequate amount of a, a balanced meal. So carbs, fat, and protein you know, quickly after the workout, because I see a lot of runners that do a long run and then wait way too long to refuel, which means that that, that they're going to start craving sugar and those more processed foods because their body is, um, you know, desperately needing that fuel. So it starts giving them those sugar cravings. So if you are experiencing a lot of sugar cravings after long runs or long workouts, um, you know, something to consider will be making sure that you're refueling with a balanced meal more quickly. So within, you know, 30 minutes, um, or 45 at the max. Um, and what I usually, um, like doing is having something small right after the run. So I love chocolate milk. That's the classic one. Um, you can do a, you know, a flavored yogurt, something with carbs and protein. But then again, shortly after, once you've showered, foam rolled, whatever, have a real actual satisfying meal, um, versus trying to kind of wait and wait and wait, because um, that's where I see people getting into trouble with just wanting to grab kind of all those processed carbs because their body needs the fuel and it didn't get it. Right. And that's my strategy too. I like to finish a run and within five or 10 minutes, I like to have some sort of uh, carb and protein uh, snack, you know, sometimes yeah. like something like, um, you know, a banana with a little bit of peanut butter or, or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. And then yeah. an hour later, after my stomach has settled down a little bit, after I've, you know, showered, and of course, this is the strength running podcast. So I, we have to say after your post run <laughs> strength routine, exactly, then you can have more of a, a real meal, uh, which should be a balanced meal, you know, uh, with equal or roughly equal macronutrients of carbs, fat and protein. That's going to keep you full. It's going to reduce those sugar cravings and it's going to be really great for your recovery. Yeah. Yeah. All absolutely. right. So speaking of carbs, here's a great question from Katie. Um, so she says, I'm curious about when I'm getting my carbohydrates in during day to day training. Does it matter whether it's from pasta, rice, bread, or from starchy veggies? Are any of those better than the other or does it come down to personal preference? Yeah. So, um, part of it is going to be personal preference. So certainly the starchy veggies in particular are going to have a lot of other nutrients. They're going to have a salt, a really good amount of fiber, but so will some of those whole grains. So especially if you're having the, the less processed versions, so the brown rice versus the white, you know, the whole wheat pasta versus the white. Um, so I think, again, you know, I'm just always saying variety, variety, variety. I think it's so important to really ask yourself, you know, what do I actually want to eat? Um, rather than trying to always say, um, you know, I should eat this. Because that's another thing that I see people getting into trouble with a lot is where, they're, you know, really hungry and they need to refuel and they say, all right, I really want some pasta, but I probably should have this salad. So they have the salad and they don't feel satisfied and then they end up eating, you know, a bunch of cookies later or something because they didn't get what they really wanted. So I think it's really important to just get that balance. So have the, have the veggies and those um, whole grains at the same time. So if you're having pasta, add in a bunch of veggies to get some good volume, add in some protein, make it a balanced meal rather than having it be kind of that all or nothing, one thing or the other. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that really answered the question, but basically variety, I think is the important thing here. Everything's going to bring something a little bit different to the table nutrient wise. So 
um, you know, focus mostly on those whole version, whole real versions of food. But if you have a craving for something specific, have it, but just think about what can I add to this to get some balance. Yeah, I see a similar problem like this all the time with runners where they're always looking for the best thing, whether it's the yeah. best source of carbs, the uh-huh. best source of protein. And really, the best is really a variety of different things. You know, exactly. we are we are like quite literally nature's most diverse omnivore. We're so effective at eating such a varied diet. And that's when we thrive, when we focus on a wide variety of healthy, whole, real foods. So I think as yeah. long as you are getting you know, your, your carbohydrate needs from a variety of healthy sources, whether that's whole grain pasta, uh, certain breads, and, and a lot of starchy vegetables, you know, that is you know, kind of the ideal scenario. It's not necessarily trying to find you know, what's the best starchy vegetable. Oh, it's sweet potatoes, then I'm only gonna eat sweet potatoes. Well, yeah. you're, you're, you're yeah. kind of leaving out so many other great vegetables though, even mm-hmm. if they may have you know, slightly fewer complex carbohydrates. Yeah. Also, flavor fatigue is a thing, too. Um, You know, if you're always eating the same things day in and day out, that's a pretty good recipe for ending up binging on other stuff just because your body, you know, can only do that for so long before it wants to rebel and have something else. So I think what is, quote, the best food for anyone is going to change in any given time. So some one day it may be kale because that's what you're craving. But another day, it might be the pizza and and that's what your body wants and I would have it because otherwise you're just going to be thinking about it for days until you know you end up maybe having an entire pizza instead of one piece. So again, I think and Jason knows I am all about the intuitive eating and the mindfulness. So if you if you want pizza or something like that again, just really think, okay, let me have this, but what can I add to it to make it more satisfying? So I'll get a salad, um, I'll add some protein on the pizza you know, really make it that balanced thing. Yeah. And I have a confession to make. I have flavor fatigue with one of my favorite bags of chips right now. (laughs) So bacon habanero chips are like my (laughs) kryptonite right now, but I've been binging a little bit too much frequently, uh, recently. (laughs) And I I had some last night and they just were not hitting the right buttons. So I'm going to take a little bit of a break from bacon habanero chips. Jason, I, I'm impressed that you, I feel like your diet has changed a lot since we wrote our program together. Well, <laughs> I, it's improved. It's improved significantly. Yeah. Just but all. just just like we say in the program, perfection has no place in your diet, just like it has yeah. no place in your training. So exactly. yeah. if I do a big workout or a long run and I want some bacon habanero chips, I have those guilt free. There. Yeah, good. I love it. <laughs> Okay, let's get to a fun question. Should you stop drinking during a training cycle? This one comes from Tom. I'll tackle it first. I don't wow. think so. And but, but the big caveat here is it really depends on, on what you mean by drinking. So if you're the one or two drink a day kind of person, then you know I don't really see a big problem with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if you're the person who likes to have you know, a couple drinks once a week or twice a week or something like that. That to me is not problematic. It's when you kind of look at the the binge drinking, I'm going to have five, six plus drinks in one night. That's when it really starts impacting your sleep. It really starts negatively impacting your recovery by, you know, I mean, alcohol, it makes you dehydrated. It, um, decreases the absorption of nutrients from your intestines. So there's a lot of different things that are going on there. And 
if you're training very heavily for a goal race, if you're in the middle of marathon training and you need to recover every single night, recovery is super important, then it's probably not a good idea to go out and have six plus drinks in a single night, no matter how fun that might be with, with your friends or family. But uh, I think as long as you're drinking somewhat responsibly, uh, you're not an elite runner whose paycheck depends on your running performances, then my, my coaching opinion is that, you know, let's go have some fun. Go have, go have a drink or two. Enjoy yourself uh, as long as you're, you're being somewhat responsible. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think really the only time to maybe consider, you know, cutting it out briefly would be like the week before the race. Um, if you want to make sure that your body is, you know, really kind of at prime um, when you're going into that race. So you're not worrying about sleep disturbance or any of the dehydration, you know, that might be the time to cut it out briefly. But I, for the majority of the time, absolutely enjoy it. Um, and just, you know, focus on moderation and mindfulness too. So, you know, if you're, if you're someone who has, you know, a bottle of wine with dinner every night and it's just become kind of a thing you do versus something that you're actually paying attention to and enjoying, that might be something to look at and really say, okay, do I actually want this or need all this or am I just having it because I always do or because it's there? So being a little bit more mindful maybe of um, whether you're having it just out of habit or actually enjoying it and, and savoring it. But yeah, I love a good glass of wine, a good beer, so um, I don't think there's any reason to cut that out unless you're an elite. <laughs> yeah. I love a good bottle of wine too, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I always like to joke that, you know, before a big marathon, I kind of become a monk during the, you know, the last two months or so of training you're in peak training for me, at least I, I just have a really hard time recovering and being able to run well the next day, uh, and, and, and feel good doing it if I have more than a drink or two. So, you know, I really cut down um, the amount of fun that I have in the couple months leading up to a marathon. Um, you know, just because, look, we put so much time and energy into one single race. And I'd rather not jeopardize that by, you know, going out a couple times a week and, and making some silly decisions. But for the most part, yeah, I think, I think a few drinks every once in a while is perfectly on point. Absolutely. And I have a, free, a few friends who swear by having a couple of drinks the night before the race too, just because they say, well, this is what I do before my long run. So why would I do something new on race day? So I think it's really just going to be what, what works for you and makes sense for you. So, yeah, let's, let's keep talking about the marathon on, um, you know, Ryan has this great question and, uh, we, we might kind of flip this question a little bit. Cause I know we're not big on calorie counting. So Ryan mm -hmm. wants to know, how many calories should you take in the morning of a marathon? How many hours before the start of the race should you eat? And how many calories during the race? Uh, mm -hmm. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, as as you said, we're not big on calorie counting, and our one of the things that I love about our nutrition for runners program is that we really focus on helping people fuel right. Um, you know, both during and outside their workouts, but without counting calories or stressing out about you know, uh, counting macros or counting anything really. Um, I don't, so, you know, the only time that I would suggest at least having an idea, an idea of how much you're taking in calorically is during your long runs. Um, and that can just be really the first couple of times you're doing it. And then you can just do what feels right for you. Um, you know, so during the run, you know, if you're doing a workout, like, 
longer than an hour. So obviously marathons longer than an hour, unless you're insane. Um, you know, you're going to want to take in about 30 to 60 grams of carbs per hour, um, depending on your body weight. So an easy formula that you can use is if you take your body weight in pounds and divide it by four, this is going to give you about the approximate, um, grams of carbs that you need per hour. Um, so that's kind of a good benchmark to use during the race or during a long run. Um, and you don't want to try anything new on race day. So make sure you test this out before during your long runs. Um, but, you know, in terms of before and after, um, I would suggest, you know, not focusing on the calories and instead um, just, you know, hopefully you've been testing things out with your long runs before and after to see which things settle best for you, especially before the run. Um, for me, before um, a typical long run, I'll eat, you know, maybe 20 minutes before I head out the door. Um, and I'll do some toast with nut butter and banana. Um, before a marathon, obviously, you're going to be getting up a lot earlier. There's going to be a lot of lag time. So what I would suggest is, um, you know, having your normal pre-run, pre-long run meal when you first get up, um, but then maybe bringing another, you know, half of it or another whole version of it with you um, so you can eat a little bit more kind of closer to the timing that you normally do for your long run. Um, and this is going to vary based on the per on the person. Some people can tolerate food better, you know, more shortly before they run than other people. Um, so again, that's going to be up to some trial and error. But um, the biggest mistake that I see people making with their pre-run fuel on race day is that they forget that there's going to be a huge lag time while you're, you know, traveling to the race, waiting in the corral, et cetera. So making sure that you're not going into the race already hungry is really important. And if you have trouble tolerating things right before you run, then simply bring maybe another gel or another of your favorite fuel to have right before the race starts because you really don't want to start the race on empty. Um, another thing to think about, too, that people don't always realize is that if you're really if you're running late and really stressed out before a race, that's actually going to be using um, you know, basically that adrenaline is going to be using more of your blood sugar. So, you know, one thing that you can do to set yourself up for a better race is basically have a lower stress morning. So try to, you know, I always get there earlier than I need to, just because I know that again, you know, there's no reason to be using your adrenaline and your blood sugar before you need it. Yeah. I think it would be helpful for me to share my personal morning of a marathon routine just so yeah. people can get an idea for, for how I think about things. Mm -hmm. So I think in a perfect world, about three to four hours, preferably four before the race, I'll have um, a bowl of oatmeal and I'll keep it simple. I'll do, uh, you know, a bottle packet. Of wine. Sorry? Bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah. A bottle <laughs> of wine before the race. You know, you got to fuel yeah. up. I don't want to be too nervous. So you got to ease <laughs> off the tension. But <laughs> no, uh, I like a packet of instant oatmeal and I'll get a flavor. So I, you know, I don't really mind a little extra sugar at this point. I am about to run 26.2 miles after all. And yeah. you know, about, so that's about three to four hours. And I'll also like to have uh, a more carbohydrate oriented, uh, energy bar, whether that's a power bar or something similar to that. Then about an hour and a half to two hours before the race, I'll have a banana. And that's just a little bit of extra food. It's it's healthy. Uh, there's electrolytes in there, and there's also um, you know it's it's easily digested. And then when I'm on the line right before the gun, I'll have a gel 
So I'm I'm ready to go. My fuel stores are topped off. Most of what I've had is is easy on the stomach, and I know for me that that routine works for my stomach. And I think that's the most important thing um, that that runners should really take away from this is you have to practice what you're going to do on race day during training. And yeah. sometimes that means getting up really early before your long run, but you have to do it at least twice, hopefully three or four times to make sure that your stomach is going to agree with whatever you're putting in it and with the scheduling of how you're putting it into your body. So uh, that, that's a good way for, for Ryan to think about um, pre-marathon fueling. And then I'll just say one quick thing about, uh, it, you know, during the marathon. You know, a typical guideline, too, is about 45 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. And so this works out pretty well to about one gel or the equivalent every 30 minutes. And, and mm-hmm. spreading it out like that is helpful just to be a little bit more gentle on the stomach so you're not you know, taking in a, a ton of carbohydrate and simple sugars in one shot. So spacing it out is important too. Uh, now wait a minute, Anne, I did have a question for you. Do you yeah. really eat a fairly big breakfast of toast, nut butter, and banana 20 minutes before a long run? I can, yeah, I can go right out the door. So, and it's fine, but that's what works for me. And I know that's not for everyone. So, I mean, maybe half an hour, but yeah, I'll have that pretty soon, you know, shortly before I head out the door. Um, And other, and for me, if I, if I ate something too much earlier, then I'd be too hungry when I started the run. So. Wow. Another great example of to do what works for you. Another thing, another tip too that I use during a race is if you do have trouble sometimes digesting things while running, um, one thing that can help in addition to uh, Jason's tip to, you know, space out the gels every 30 minutes um, is also to just eat the gel slowly. So I see a lot of people just pound the entire gel in basically one bite. Um, and you know, this is easier for me because I always run with a hydration pack so I can have sips of water too, but I will take, you know, a couple miles to eat a gel, if not the entire half hour, just because if I eat it more slowly and just give myself little bits of it, then that seems to help me to digest it a little bit more easily. So that's something to consider too. You don't have to eat it all at once. Yeah. It sounds like a good strategy to experiment with on your next long run. Exactly. All right, let's talk about um, recovery days. Uh, AJ has a question about um, you know foods that might be especially good for recovery days to keep your energy levels up so that you're not getting too uh, tired on the days that you're not running. What do you think about that? This is, again, going to be focused on really making sure you're getting that balance. So you want to make sure that all your meals have carbs, fat, and protein, all three of the macronutrients. And then snacks, you'll want to think about getting two out of those three categories um, so that you're really balancing your intake. Um, another thing to think about too is that often on the recovery day, if it's if it's the day after a long run, you're going to be maybe even more hungry than you were on your long run day. So really listening to your body and making sure that you're taking in enough is going to be really important for that recovery because it's sometimes hard because you know, you feel like, oh, this is my recovery day. I'm just, you know, sitting around. I'm not doing a workout. I don't need to eat as much. But that's really not the case because your body's still repairing, um, you know, and working from the day before. So it's really important to make sure that you're listening to your body and how much it needs. And it may be more than you think it needs. Um, yeah. yeah, I think what you're talking about is uh, commonly called afterburn or EPOC. 
post-exercise yeah. oxygen consumption. And Absolutely. it's one of the, one of the reasons why, you know, you, you might not be super hungry the the, you know, in the hours after a race, but the next day or, or later on in the day, you just become ravenously hungry. So if the effort is long enough or hard enough, you are definitely going to, um, you know, be, be super hungry later. Mm-hmm. Now, l- let me, let me be the devil's advocate here for a second. Mm-hmm. Should your diet be that much different on a day that you're not running versus a day that you are running besides maybe a little bit more food on, you know, if, if you're hungrier on the day that you're running? No, honestly. I mean, it should pretty much be similar, honestly. So really just focusing on getting that balance, getting, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, yeah, honestly, it should be pretty similar to to a training day, especially if you're doing a lot of uh, a lot of volume. Um, that rest day shouldn't really look that much different food wise than your training days. Yeah, because it seems to me that, you know, you, you don't eat specifically for recovery and you don't eat specifically for performance. You yeah. just eat the best possible diet that you can, period. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Glad, glad that we cleared that up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's – Um, this is a, kind of a macronutrient question from Natasha. How um, – She's wondering about macronutrient guidelines and how those work. Basically, less of a focus on the number of calories that you're eating and more of a focus on the makeup of those calories. So she wants to know how can runners manage this approach rather than the calorie approach? Should you know? Sh- should you do this, or 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 what do you think? So you know, as we said before, we aren't a big fan of of counting things. Um, I think, you know, and this is what we really focus on in the Nutrition for Runners program is making sure that each of those macronutrients is present at a meal um, rather than worrying about counting or or measuring specific amounts of them. Um, You know, and and I think it's important, again, here to really listen to your body. Some people are going to need different balances of macronutrients than others, and it doesn't, you don't have to measure them or count them to get the right amount for you, your body can tell you that if you pay attention enough when you're eating. So, you know, you're going to notice if you finish a meal and you're, and you're still hungry and you're craving a little bit of sugar, that means you probably should have had more carbs in the meal. Um, or, you know, if you're feeling constantly, um, ravenous all day, then you might want to consider adding more protein or more fat, which is going to give it more staying power. Um, you know, but again, I think, the biggest indication that someone is not having enough carbs is going to be those sugar cravings. So if that's something that any of you are struggling with, that might be something to look at. But again, it doesn't have to be that complicated. You don't have to count things to have a healthier, balanced diet. If you really just think, okay, is there a carb present at this meal? Yes. Is there a protein present at this meal? Is there a fat you know, protein, uh, present here? That's going to set you up for a good balanced meal and then get some veggies in there too for volume. And then from there, you can start to see, okay, you know, how much of these things feel best for me? And that's going to take some experimentation. Um, But again, it doesn't require counting things. Yeah. If anyone is like me, I don't want to count anything in my diet, whether that's calories, whether that's the weight of my food, macronutrient percentages. I don't want to have to bust out my TI-83 calculator (laughs) so that I can have lunch. I'd rather just eat my lunch and enjoy it. And Um, enjoy it. Yeah. People are forgetting about that part. Food is supposed to be enjoyable too. 
Exactly. And when we interviewed Nancy Clark, who's arguably the most famous dietitian in the country, she's consulted with all these pro sports teams. Uh, she's the only dietitian that I know of that's been on the cover of a Wheaties box. And <laughs> she said, you know, you don't need to count calories. The body yeah. is itself its best calorie counter. Exactly. Um, and it really ties in nicely with this idea of making sure that all of your meals and and ideally most of your snacks have all three macronutrients present. Because mm -hmm. if you don't do that, you know, you're not going to do what Nancy calls taming the cookie monster, which yeah. is, you know, later in the day, if you just have like some salad with with chicken on it for lunch, you didn't have any carbohydrate and you're probably going to be hungry in an hour and a half. And then that's yeah. when you start wandering into the kitchen and start grabbing fistfuls of M&Ms or cookies. So yeah, by, exactly. by making sure that you're actually eating proper amounts of food with, the, with at least, um, you know, making sure that there are all three macronutrients there in every meal that you have, you're not going to have all those cravings, all those, mm -hmm. you know, d the demand for snacks all the time just simply isn't going to be there. Yeah, whenever clients come to me saying that they have a really bad sweet tooth or that they, you know, can't control themselves around certain foods, that to me is is not it's an indication rather of the fact that they're missing certain things in their diet throughout the day. So, like you said, if they're skipping the carbs at lunch, that's going to equal cookie monster later. Um, you know, or you know, they're yeah. So basically it's it's not it's not you. It's not that you have a huge um, sweet tooth. It's not that you can't control yourselves around certain foods. It's just that you're not setting yourself up well by having balanced meals earlier in the day. And so your body is rebelling later and, and telling you, okay, we need these things. So then if it's something that you haven't had for a while or haven't allowed yourself to have when you do have it, you know, it's going to be hard to stop because your body says, we never get to have this. We better have all of it now because we'll never get it again. So it's that all or nothing mentality again. So if you really intentionally incorporate th treats and things that you enjoy, and again, make sure your meals are balanced, that's going to basically get rid of the sweet tooth and that uncontrolled eating type situation. Yeah, I like to think that the body is pretty smart and it's not going to be fooled. So if you're yeah you know, eating a, a low carb breakfast, you're having a salad for dinner or for lunch rather, then your body's like, Hey, Hey, hold on a second. Mm -hmm. Where's the carbohydrate? I need yep. carbs. You're a runner. Don't forget that. Yeah. And that's when you start having these cravings for sweet food. So, uh, mm -hmm. don't try to pull a fast one on your body. It knows better. Yep. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get down into some nitty gritty here. Uh, and this is pretty topical. So there's a ton of buzz about L-carnitine lately. Um, I don't know if you saw the news, but this is a supplement that was used intravenously in the Nike Oregon project. The The legality of it is being debated because it was, it was a lot of it. It was uh, issued intravenously. So we're not really here to talk about the, the ethics of that or anything like that. But, you know, Steve here has a question about you know, what are your thoughts on its potential benefits or drawbacks as an endurance sports supplement? Is are you aware of any research to support or um, or not this kind of uh, of supplementation? So honestly, I don't really know much about that. Um, so you know, L-carnitine is an amino acid; it's a building block for proteins. Um, you know, it's naturally produced in the body. Um, Unfortunately, I wish I were more well-versed in this, but I'm, I'm not, so I can't really comment on that. I will say, though, that I don't think in general that 
you know, supplements are worth the hype. Um, for the most part, we can get what we need from food. Um, and I think a lot of the supplements, um, you know, certainly some of them may have small benefits, but there's also some risk and danger that comes with consuming large quantities of something um, that you wouldn't find naturally occurring um, in such large quantities in food. So, you know, I always err more on the side of um, focusing more on getting nutrients from whole real food um, and just focusing on crushing your training too rather than, um, yeah. But honestly, I don't really know much about L-carnitine, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and I, I think this is uh, it's, it's an interesting question because, you know, I, I read an article, uh, I think it was in the New York Times, talking about, you know, the Nike Oregon Project and head coach Alberto Salazar and, and all that they were doing to try to increase performance. And it, it's worth noting that the dosage of this um, amino acid was at a level that you're not even going to be able to get, you know, if you go to your local GNC or vitamin shop or something like that, okay. because they were doing it uh, through an IV bag and you know, the level was just ridiculous to, to get the benefits that they were trying to get. Uh, but I really think that you hit the nail on the head when you said you really have to first focus on crushing your training. You know, this mm -hmm. is like you know, the runner who's running 25 miles a week who's looking for L-carnitine supplementation. Uh, you would get a lot more benefit by running 30 miles a week. Mm -hmm. Because you're you're not yeah. really even reaching your your potential through training, and training is the number one way to get better as a runner. I hope I hope that's not a novel concept or anything like that. But you're not going to become a better runner because you have the best foam roller or that you have the best vitamin. It's really about your training. Are you running high mileage? Are you consistently doing a long run? Are your workouts and mileage levels and uh, long runs? progressive in nature? Do they bring you from where you are to where you want to go? That's mm. the most important part for performance. Whether or not you know, L-carnitine can, can help you a little bit either way, uh, I think is up for debate. Uh, I'm a big believer in not supplementing. I don't think it, for the most part, helps average runners. You know, when you start getting to the elite level, if you're running 130 miles a week, then you might have some, some specific maybe. needs. And, yeah. and I think that's best discussed with your doctor after a very comprehensive testing process. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, I think the best thing you can do if you're not, if you're not doing it yet, which I'm sure many of your readers and listeners probably are since they're on your site, but just varying the intensity and the pace of your runs too. I see a lot of people, and I used to do this too, just always running the same speed. Like every run was the same pace pretty much. And obviously distances varied and terrain varied, but I was always doing the same pace. And when I started actually doing track workouts and tempo runs and really pushing the pace and varying uh, things and doing interval workouts, it made a huge difference for me with my speed. So if you're not already doing that, get on Jason's website or get our nutrition for runners program. Cause it has a lot of, uh, training program plans in there too. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's the best thing you can do. Right. And, and that's really the difference between exercising and training. Exercising is, you know, kind of unstructured and a little bit more informal. You're, you're exercising just for general health training yeah. on the other hand is, exercising for a very specific purpose. So if you want to qualify for Boston, run a sub four marathon, break 25 minutes in the 5k, whatever your goal might be, 
you've transitioned away from exercising and, and into training. Now your train your exercise has to look a certain way so that you get all those physiological adaptations that are going to help you accomplish that goal, whatever it is uh, that you have. And yeah. once you start training rather than exercising, it's a a lot easier to to reach your goal. Uh, but B, you're going to get faster. You're probably going to lose more weight because of the variation in intensity and also uh, volume and mileage. So there's a lot of benefits there. But, but I think getting the training right is absolutely the first and most important thing to focus on. Yep. Okay. And our final question, uh, this one I'd kind of like to, to dissect a little bit because it's an interesting one. Um, Tom wants to know, you know, what are some healthy snack options that won't add pounds? Uh, and, and I guess... I'll just briefly say, you know, any healthy snack is going to add pounds because it has calories. If you're not, if you're eating it, you know, uh, in addition to the number, the amount of food that you need in a given day, then you're going to gain weight. So that's kind of like the, my, my, my background to this question. Um, you know, I think any healthy, you know, you could eat that, have the healthiest diet in the world and you can still be putting on an incredible amount of weight if you're just eating too much. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's dissect, you know, the, you know, besides the the issue that <laughs> any food has the potential to add weight. What are some of your favorite healthy snacks for endurance athletes? Yeah, the key with snacks is that you want to make sure that you're getting that balance of of uh, macronutrients again. So I see a lot of people just snacking on carbs, so just crackers or just pretzels or just fruit. Um, but if you add in some protein and fat to that, like with nuts or seeds, um, you know, cheese stick, whatever your form is, um, that's going to give it a lot more staying power. The other thing is I'm a huge advocate of snacking because I think it's really important to stay on top of hunger levels. So one of the easiest ways that you can make healthy eating easier for you is to not get too hungry. Um, and that means having some snacks because once you get too hungry, it's going to be impossible to not just grab whatever is in front of you. It's going to be really hard to not eat too much because your body is starting to panic. Basically, I see this a lot with clients that end up trying to wait all afternoon or have a very light snack. And then by the time they get home for dinner, they're starved and they, you know, end up essentially having a small binge, um, or just overeating because, um, they've gotten too hungry. It also makes it really hard to consider hmm, what healthy dinner should I make for myself right now if you're basically, you know, outrageously hungry. So I think one of the best things you can do for yourself to make healthy eating easier is to stay on top of those hunger levels and have a snack. Um, And again, make it a mix of carbs, protein and fat. So some of my favorites, I love yogurt, fruit um, and nuts. I love, um, you know, nut butter and banana or nut butter and apple. I love just doing a trail mix. Um, popcorn with a cheese stick is a great one. Um, you can do cheese and crackers. Um, you can have like half a sandwich, a small, kind of like a small meal. Um, yeah. So those are just a few of my favorites. Um, Jason, what are you into? Uh, pretty much all the above. I, I, (laughs) you know, the, the whole apple and peanut butter is is one of my old go-tos that I really love. Uh, I'm I'm honestly not much of a daytime snacker too much. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll I'll have a small breakfast, you know, a normal size lunch, and then in the afternoon I might have 
you know, a piece of fruit. I, I do violate the macronutrient rule oh, there with what? that snack. But hey, it works for me. And then I have my, my healthy yeah. dinner. And yeah. then usually at night, I will treat myself to, you know, some mm-hmm. sort of post-dinner uh, treat or something like that. But, you know, you, you keep it you keep it respectable and, and not, too, not too crazy. But I think, you know, when we interviewed Nancy Clark, she actually talked about adding a fourth meal in during your day. And it was like yeah. that, that 3, 3.30, 4 p.m. small meal that you have. And I think she talked about having like a bowl of soup. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, what, what her point was, you know, you just have to stay on track of your hunger and not get super hungry, just like you were saying, Anne, so that, you know, you don't start snacking before dinner or having crazy cravings. So I think if you cover those bases, then, you know, your snacking is going to be under control and you'll be good to go. Yep, exactly. All right, Anne, this was so much fun. Thanks so much for, for lending us your time and your expertise here on all these different issues. I always have a great time talking with you. And uh, if you guys want to know more about Anne and her work and all the, the crazy stuff that's going on in her life, she blogs at fantasticfood.com. And of course, she spells fantastic, F-A-N-N-E, because she just likes puns, I guess. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. It was fun to chat with you again. All right. Thanks, Anne. Have a good one. You too. Bye. And that wraps my chat with Anne all about nutrition and fueling for endurance runners. Now, look, we flew through a lot of these questions because I wanted to cover as many as we could, but there's a lot more info from case studies to a downloadable dietitian approved shopping list to the biggest mistakes you should avoid with your diet in our free e-course at strengthrunning.com slash nutrition. So if nailing your nutrition is one of your goals right now and you don't want to have to count calories, calculate macronutrient percentages, or weigh everything you eat or score every piece of food that goes into your mouth because I sure as hell don't either, then this is for you. Head on over to strengthrunning.com slash nutrition for the free e-course. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. A big thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Health IQ a special type of insurance company that helps health-conscious people, like us runners, get lower life insurance rates. Now, historically, runners have been penalized for things like family history and other attributes, but not rewarded for their healthy lifestyles. Health IQ changes that. They've gathered science and data to convince insurance companies that health-conscious folks, like us runners, deserve better rates. And since research has shown avid runners have a 41% lower risk of heart disease and up to a 35% lower risk of early death, they've been successful. Over the last three years, they've helped tens of thousands of athletes secure billions of dollars of coverage. Want to see if you qualify? Go to healthiq.com slash strengthrunning to see how much money running can save you on life insurance.